Gracias por sintonizar nuestro podcast. Te habla tu servidor, el Pastor Mario. Esperamos que este mensaje te anime, te desafíe y hable a tu corazón. Disfruta el mensaje. Leo does all my shopping too, so. He, he does. He dresses me. <laughs> he knows what looks best. Ah, I feel very weepy this morning. So I apologize. But not really. I was thinking about worship yesterday. Just being here the last this weekend has been such a gift to me. I mean, just you guys, just this house, this home, this family. It's precious. So precious. So precious. I mean, you guys have this. <laughs> I was like, what do I have to offer? They already carry this. You carry love. You are overflowers of love worship, the prayers, I mean, just feel, I mean, when Mario said the cloud of love, I mean, you feel presence here, like you're aware of it, you're awake to it, you're awake to him loving you, awake to who he is in you, and you're bringing that with you into the, into your world, into your neighborhoods, into your spaces, your houses, it's just, yesterday when Leonard speaks on Mark 5, always a tricky, it's tricky for me. Uh, was everyone here in church yesterday? Yeah. I mean, he talks about, you know, the woman who had bled for 12 years and then the little girl who had died, who was asleep. <coughs> and, it, and then he says, oh, and Leslie and I will pray for you at the end. And I always think, if you look at the mocking spirit just arises at me because we had a daughter who was sick for 14 years, and a lot of that was blood. She had, um, she would bleed in her stomach, it was a long story, but a lot of blood, a lot of running to the hospital, bleeding out, needing transfusions, a lot of money, a lot of medical, a lot of, we understood the, you know, we did cry out, right? It's, and then she did pass away. She awoke but she woke in heaven. But when you, when you preach that message and then there's just that thing in you, who are you? What do you have to say in this? What do you bring? Where's your testimony? Because we're used to people standing up here with the testimony. You know, back in the day, in the desert, but now, you know, or this was my wrestle, but this is the Lord met me, and now I've overcome so I can give this to you. But when you're in the middle of life, because all of us are in the middle of some part of life, some part of mystery, of questions. And I just every time he teaches, I have this opportunity to go, my confidence isn't in myself, it's in God. And I know it's his good pleasure to reveal Christ in me, through me. And Christ lives in me. And there's lots of mystery. And he's good. And he knows the end of the story. And I love the testimony. I, I Even in Kelsey's um, funeral, she had a uh, framed 
not a picture, but a, a framed words in her room, Jesus still heals. It's true. Right? And she's actually healed. Right? We want all the things resolved on this side in this 70 to 80 years. But we're eternal. We're eternal. Like I think sometimes we're not even born yet. We are in the womb. And she's stepped into wholeness and reality. And she's healthy. It's just every time he preaches that, I get a new opportunity to go to a deeper place and go, oh. and here we are. And I step up and I touched you guys. And I loved you and I felt his love for you. It's just such a gift. But just to say, you know, we're all still in the journey. And that's what kind of what I want to share about today. How do we walk this out in an earth where there's still trouble, where there's still mystery, where there are still things we can't explain? And it's easy at that point to say, I got to do the right thing. You know, maybe I didn't crawl. I love the word throng. You guys, throng. Like, maybe I didn't. Did I? Yes, I did. It was my daughter, you know. He went. You go. You know, I was the mother. We did. We went. It wasn't, we didn't miss it. But that's where the enemy comes in. I mean, right? You're right back at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You've done something. He's, you know, not been good towards you. But he's good, so you must be wrong. So fix it. Do something to change his result. And I just have to lean back into the tree of life over and over again and go, no, my father loves me. Jesus died to bring me home, and I live home. And the mystery and the questions, they don't scare me because he hears every question. Sometimes he answers a question 20, 30 years later, like he's preparing you for the answer. <laughs> and sometimes our questions aren't answered till we're home. But I always say to myself, you know, when I stand before him one day when, and we look back at my life tucked into him, I'm going to say, perfect, perfect. You did it perfect. So now I choose to stand in the mystery and say, you use all things use all things there's no mistakes there's no messes it's beauty to him beauty beauty like I think of sometimes I see a picture of a tapestry like a like when you I'm not sure how, what the word I'm looking for is like it's like you see the front end of a beautiful work but in the back end is all the knots right, that make the beauty, and, and you know, what the tapestry, and I, and I think to myself, we sometimes, or the enemy keeps pointing at us to all the knots, but Father sees the other side, he doesn't see knots in us, so I want to go back, I'm going to go back into John, you know, we do love John, I'm going to, this is the last words, Jesus really talked to his boys Chapter, we're going to go into the end of 16. Chapter 17 is his prayer to his father. And chapter 16 is his last time he's talking to the boys. He says in 1633, he says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And some translations say trouble. 
in this world, in your world you live in, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, he says. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I've overcome it. Well, good for you, Jesus. <laughs> right? 33 years out. Here I am at 50. Seven, it's still here. What does that mean? Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Trouble, got it, right? Check, understand trouble, right? Be of good cheer. When I first was aware of this verse, I just really stood in that question. I don't understand what that means. I don't understand. You know, I was in the middle of much trouble. You know, Kelsey had been in this complicated, chronic illness for 10 years by this point. You know, we were part of a ministry that we thought we would be in until Jesus returned, and it was kind of crumbling underneath us. Not to mention how easy it is for me to look back at my life and see much trouble. And I knew peace wasn't an emotion that I was in consistently. Like, I could never say to myself, man, I've overcome. Peace is my steady place. So what does that mean? Peace. I was trying just to survive most days. I felt over my head. I felt underqualified for what was being asked of me and very aware of my failures and struggles. I tried to do the best I could and tried to keep my heart from being offended. I felt like I was out in an ocean. You guys have ocean. The waves coming at you. And on occasion, my feet would touch the bottom. A moment, but then another wave would come. You know, you just have to keep trying to keep your head. And every once in a while, someone would come by on a raft, it felt like to me. And I could hang on for a minute as they were on their way to dry land. Or I'd catch on to someone on the surfboard who was going the other way, and who seemed to have the gifts and the talents to ride the wave. And here I was, kind of just hanging on, just trying to keep my heart steady, trying to get through most days. That was more my reality. And at this point, I was beginning to taste the reality of a father's love. And I was just touching that ache left by my own childhood and allowing his mothering love to come and meet my deep needs of nurture. I could feel the container within me was being restored. I understood that through his death and resurrection, Jesus had overcome sin. He overcame Satan. He even overcame death. And I knew through his death and resurrection there was available to me power and freedom, a deep hope for eternity. But overcoming the world, I said this the other day, earthing has never been my strength. It's just not my, some people come into this world with gifts and talents. I always think of myself as an upside down tree. Like I'm, I do better being rooted and grounded in heaven. I'd rather be in this small group in a cave. That's where I feel my most at rest. Coming here, standing here, it's always very nerve-wracking for me. But, I, but my life is his, so I let him unwrap me. <laughs> but honestly, when I finish, like I'll finish today and I'll go, is that enough? Can I come home? Like I'm just waiting to do the thing he put me here for so that he could be released to eternity. Because earthing is tricky for me. And I feel like mostly until this point in my life, you know, this before I got caught this revelation that I'm unwrapping today, 
I felt like mostly I was hanging on, and I said that the other day, hanging on till heaven, trying not to make too much of a mess on the way that he has to clean up. That was really my goal. <clears throat> so I look up the definition of overcoming. What's it mean to overcome? It means to succeed in dealing with, right? To succeed in dealing with a problem or a difficulty. Like to succeed, <laughs> to master, to conquer, to triumph, to overpower. What I think he meant when he said, I have overcome the world, he was saying he didn't allow the emotions that this world stirs up to take away his peace. He wasn't tossed and turned emotionally when the world threw its worst at him. The problem with the world throwing stuff at you is that it affects you emotionally. You find your emotions take this roller coaster ride, right? Peace, rest, joy, anxiety, fear, hope, depression, joy. It's just up and down. It feels like your emotions ride, you're riding it. You don't have, you're on it, but you can't always control it. But Jesus was able to live in the world in human flesh, fully human, tempted in all things, and he stayed steady in his emotions. Sometimes we try to avoid feeling the negative emotions. We try to close ourselves down. We try to live by faith. Right? All things are good. Like we're not going to feel the negative. We're going to but when you close your heart to the negative, you close your house to the positive. You can't just shut down part of you. I I read a quote once by Frederick Beekner. He says the trouble with steeling yourself against the harshness of reality is that the same steel that secures your life also keeps you from being opened up and transformed. And if you're walking, preparing for the next storm, that you know is going to come, trouble's coming, so I'm going to stay steady, you're not open and free. Your heart's not available to see where Papa is now in you. Right? You just, you can't, it seems stoic, it seems best, it'll protect myself. But honestly, it keeps you from being encountered and being transformed. Some also do feel the feels, but they don't know what to do with it. I say feel, feels, that's my phrase. But it, it's feeling your feelings, like giving yourself permission. But that's sometimes when the negative feelings, negative, I say negative because we call them negative, we define feelings. Feelings are feelings. They're not negative. They're just your feelings. Sometimes when we feel them, the fear or the anxiety or the shame, we try to numb it. We kind of numb it. It's too big, too much. What do I do with it? Where do I go with it? We kind of cut it short. We can't stop it from affecting us, but we try to stop it. And I was coming to this place that I was believing that I was loved in my humanity and my lessliness. And part of me is my emotions. Part of me is my emotions. And I didn't want to hide any part of me. I was beginning to see and understand that his love was the only source of healing and wholeness and grounding in me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me, right, in me, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. 
When Jesus is speaking these words, he's just about to go to the cross. He knew the time was imminent when Satan would unleash his final attack. And this attack begins in the garden when the high priests lay their hands on him. You know, in Jewish tradition every year, the priests took a lamb, a perfect lamb, and they would lay their hands on him, the lamb, and all the sins of a year for their people would go into the lamb. You know, I think an interesting note that I just decided, this is free. I read somewhere that when the priest took the lamb, you know what they looked at? They looked at the lamb. They didn't look at the person coming in. You know, like the, we're coming in going, forgive us. The priest is standing in the gap. They didn't, they didn't look at the priest and say, oh, are you worthy? They looked at the lamb. They took the lamb. They looked at the lamb. He's not looking at us. He's looking at Christ. Does that tickle in you what it tickled in me? It's like, oh, we think he's looking at us. Do we deserve? No, he's looking at the pure, spotless lamb. But that day when the, when the priests put their hands on him in the garden, when he, as Leonard said, gave himself to them, that day when they put his hands on him, the sins and the consequence of all of humanity came onto him, onto his human frame. Not just my sin, but all the sins. Not just the sins before him, but the sins for all of time and the consequences were laid upon a human frame. The accumulated guilt and hopelessness of the sins of all time descended upon Jesus emotionally right there in the garden. The shock and trauma of this made him sweat drops of blood. He felt it. He felt it. Sin puts a terrible burden on an individual. You think when we miss the mark, when we know we're doing something, right, how does it feel in us? How do we feel? We feel so much better. We can say it. We cleanse it. We're out of it. But he, at this point, was carrying all of those feelings on himself on his human frame. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. He experienced the consequences of all the sin of the whole world throughout all time. And immediately, the sense of his father was lost to him. For him, for the first time ever, for the first time as son, from eternity past and through his 33 years as in a human frame, he was unable to sense his father. And then, 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 that wasn't the end. Then he was taken. Then he was taken. And he was beaten with rods that would have smashed his face beyond recognition. Do you remember when Mary didn't recognize him? The last time she saw him. Then the Roman whipping. We talked to Paul. We heard about Paul. He gets whipping. It's a Jewish whipping and the Roman whipping are very different. The Roman whipping, there is no limit. No legal limit to the number of blows. 
The whipping was always carried out using a cat of nine tails, so on the ends of the whip there was bone or metal or even hooks. So deep lacerations, torn flesh, exposed muscles, excessive bleeding. The intention was to push someone to the edge of death without actually killing them. And then, and then, the mocking, the thorns, and then hearing, oh Israel, I could gather you. I can gather you. (laughs) Here is people crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. And then he carried his own cross, the weight of a cross on his human frame. The crucifixion was another way of torturing and brutally punishing the so-called offenders in the Roman world. And it's actually illegal, either one of them, to be done to a Roman citizen. And in, when I was doing research on this, they actually, there's no record, no, no, nothing, no one ever recorded in history who actually received both the flogging and the crucifixion. Jesus was the only one who endured both for the joy set before him, bringing children back into Papa. Through it all, Jesus continued to love, to serve. He surrendered to his father. He was silent. He did not defend himself. On the cross, he looked after his mommy. (laughs) The thief on the cross, he prayed for those who crucified. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And on that day, Forgiveness, the spirit of forgiveness was released on the earth. And that's where we stand. And that's where we live. There's only one accuser of the brethren. And Jesus released forgiveness. Right? Even when with the story Leonard tells about the woman caught in a dog, who is your accuser? And he says to her, neither do I accuse you. He has not come to accuse That is not his nature. And now that nature is within us. Leonard talks about when pressure comes. Remember the first night? When pressure comes, what is in your heart comes out? Right? What's really there? When pressure came on Jesus, Jesus as a man felt an eternal weight of pressure, the most extreme emotional torment that any human has ever faced. What came out? Love. Mercy, grace, tenderness, gentleness. His response was perfect. He never got angry, never felt self-pity, never gave up on his purpose. Right? Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. How did he do it? Let's look. I think you probably know the answer. (laughs) But let's look at John 16, 32, right before it. He says to them, Behold, an hour is coming and already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, to leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Right? 
Does the enemy try to isolate us, make us feel like we're alone? If everyone else leaves me, I'm not alone. For the Father is with me. He was saying, regardless of what he felt, remember I said the other day, small R reality, the big R reality, he was absolutely secure in his experience of Father loving him. Jesus lived his life in relationship with his father, right, in the bosom. He was continuously in the bosom of his father. He never wavered in his conviction that he was loved by all the love in the universe. He had emotional stability because his father's love was his reality. He was rooted and grounded in love from eternity as a son and for 33 years in human frame. Jesus was able to keep his peace. It was not an act. (laughs) He tells his disciples and us to have peace and promises that we will face trouble and tribulation. The waves are real. (laughs) But as he overcomes, and he is in us and we are in him, right? We're indwelt. We're immersed as this becomes our reality, as we begin to see this, we too can overcome. Peace will be our reality. Though Jesus did not feel his father, his father was with him, right? Let me tell you, now we're going to look at some ways that you can see father was there, but you may not have known it. I found this verse in Mark 15, 21. It's a really great verse. It's a little something, you just read it really fast and you don't pay attention, but it caught my heart one day when I looked at it. It's, and you, I'm sure you recognize this. As you come into Revelation of the Father and you recognize this is what Jesus was bringing us into, you look at the Bible and you see the Father everywhere. You know, like, where? What? I didn't know you were there. Your eyes start to open to this. So this is my fun little Mark 15, 21. It says, They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene. The father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. Do you remember when they had the man help Jesus with cross? Okay, mostly in the Bible, when they talk about people, they say they're the son of, the son of, the son of David, the son of Jesse, son, all the way son of Adam. Adam's the son of God, right? But here we have, it says father, father, father. Jesus may not have sensed his father. The father was showing him, I'm here. I'm sending you a father. Do you ever in your life not feel or sense father fathering you? We just keep saying all week, he's a perfect father, a perfect mother. You're like, well, I was too. I didn't feel it. Where were you when? Right? But once we start to believe and understand, that's what I pray. Give me eyes to see where you were. And that's kind of what I was saying the other day, that God is out above and outside of time. Like if you think about a train with all the different cars, we can see the cars coming before us when we're standing at the train track, but God sees all of them. You're beginning to your end, and it's all now to him. So as, as we say, oh, as we start to see and believe, Leonard, step into, I can see him in my two-year-old need. I can see him in my eight-year-old need. 
I can see him, and I can see the ways he fathered and mothered me. I can see the way nurses had held me when I was sick, or a teacher. You can see it. It may not have come through my direct mother and father, but he was there, right? And I didn't know, but now I knew. And once I could see it and believe it, it like unleashes it in my being. And my reality is I become whole and healed. And I live a life now like I've been perfectly loved my whole life. Father of... He's fathering you, no matter what the world is saying. And he has been fathering you. You are a love conception. He has never lost sight of you. Though he couldn't experience his father loving him, he gave his human son a sign of his presence. He was with him. Psalm twenty-two, nineteen. He says, he did not hide his face. You know, he starts it, why have you abandoned me? And Jesus on the cross is the beginning of Psalm 22. But if he had said that on the cross, all of the people standing there would have known the whole psalm. And we say, oh, why did he hide his face? He didn't. I've heard a worship song. God turned away. Heaven did not turn away. Heaven did not turn away. Heaven did not turn away. He did not hide his face. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, he said that God was in Christ. Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The world had the problem. He did not have the problem. The world's view of God changed. Father was always pursuing his kids. He did not count their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. John 14, 20, Jesus says, On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. On that day, you will realize there's no separation from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, ever, ever. As Leonard said, there cannot be a God of love without relationship because love has to give itself away. It's other-centered. It's self-giving. That's what love is, and that is God is love. It's his nature. It's his character. He's not trying it on for a while. He's not kind of angry. He's not. And if we see him that way, we are misunderstanding him. Love does, wrath is love coming in and destroying anything that comes after love. He wants you to be fully loved and what's coming after it, he wants out of you. That's his wrath. It's for you. Not angry, not disappointed. I remember I, this teaching we teach normally in a B school. And when I went to my B school, I don't even remember the B school. I think I sat right there, right there, and wept for a week. It was one of those unraveling weeks. So I never really heard this teaching. And then we, our life was changing with this revelation. Like, you know, the experience Leonard shared where I kind of got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and crawled around and saw, felt his feels for all his babies. <laughs> Things were changing. The kids were waking up in the house to being children. They were no longer servants or slaves. So then you kind of have to reevaluate why you're doing what you're doing. You know, they were gifted. They were worship leaders. So you assume this is a gift God made me, so I owe it. 
But he's like, it's a gift God gave me, and he loves me. How does he, how, like they had, they were reevaluating, and a lot of them were going their own ways. Things were shifting and shaking, and so I'm like, I got to figure out if this is true, because it's making, shifting. So we went to New Zealand and spent a month with James and Denise. And the first day we sat around the circle and they said, well, tell us why you're here, where you came from. And it got to me and I'm like, this is changing everything. This is either the good news that Jesus came for or this is heresy. I got to know it because I'm giving it away. I can't control it. I just need to sit. After a month, believe me, I knew it was the good news. (laughs) But in that month what James did is he taught all the A school the why behind all the A school stuff the topics why behind the B school where all the stories so again we were going to come to this teaching and I knew that verse it was still wrestling with it what does it mean to overcome and on that day I was getting ready so excited and all of a sudden the phone rang from the states because we were in New Zealand and Kelsey was still Kelsey and still you know sick and we had um, she was staying with other, other people were in the farm were with her, like they're in their 30s, they're not like children. She was probably 19, 18, so she's, you know, she's very capable. And she prayed, and we didn't do anything without Kelsey's okay from her. And so she said, you need to go. Like I said the other day, she was born into the father's heart. She knew she was the favorite. She knew it. So she was happy to see us coming and do it. <laughs> So she was like, go. But this day they called and said she's been put in the hospital. And they were scared, the people that were taking care of her. They were afraid. It wasn't a safe place, the hospital, for lots of reasons. So they got anxious, and they were like, we don't know what to do. She's in the hospital. And I get all this stuff coming at me. And and then my mistake is I never talked to Kelsey, right? I didn't check on her. I just picked up all that anxiety. So we're standing out. This teaching's going on. <laughs> Jehovah's sneaky. The teaching's going on. I'm not listening to it, but I'm in the other room, and I just go, okay, how do we, we can't even, if we, re- if we wanted to go home right this second, we're literally in New Zealand. I mean, to get on a plane, and I mean, it's going to take us a day and a half, no matter how we do it. And so it's like, okay, we'll just wait. You know, James and Denise said, you guys can go if you want to go. And like, we just got here. <laughs> so we went, we went to the night and we just prayed about it. And I got up in the morning and a lot of times the way I like ground myself, which sounds a little funny, but you know, I'm an upside down tree. So grounding myself, it, I run. So I can feel like I just can run. I put worship on and I just feel myself, feel my body on the earth. And I was just crying like i don't know what to do i don't know where to go what to stand you you made it clear you made it clear in miraculous ways we were supposed to be here like the way the money came there was just no other way other than god but but now it feels and all of a sudden i got dropped into this vision and it, it was um there was a storm and there was a boat and jesus was sleeping in it and kelsey was tucked into jesus like he was spooning her. And I just saw her at complete peace and complete rest. And I was like, oh, how do I live that way? I want to live that way. How do I live like she lives? Because Kelsey always felt her feels. 
She wasn't afraid. She was a psalmist. She would write songs. She would, her guitar, her piano is where she would pour out her heart to God. She, she'd feel the, the sadness, the anger, the, the grieving. Whatever she was feeling, she, went to, she ran towards him with it. And then he met her there. And then the end of the song would be, I'll go anywhere, right? I'll do anything. One time she was sitting at the piano singing, and she had said to him, I'll go down any road untraveled. I'll go down any road. I'll go down any road. And Jesus came and sat next to her and said, Kelsey, sweet Kelsey, I love your heart, but you're singing heresy because there's no road you will ever go on that I haven't already gone before you. There is no road untraveled. Ah, Kelsey, how do I live like Kelsey? <laughs> so Jesus said, come on in. So he scooted over in this vision. And I kind of tucked myself in between my baby and Jesus. And you know what? In that moment, what became reality to me was not only was Jesus in the heart of the Father. And not only was Kelsey and I in the heart of the Father, but so was the boat. So was the storm. So was the whole world. There's no place you can go where he's not already loving you. No place. If you sleep in the depths of dark, I don't even know the song, but you know it. You know it. Wherever where you go, I am loving you. I'm loving you. On that day, what became my reality? We were in the heart of the Father. I knew it was true through revelation. Remember, revelation's an act of God. Right? When Peter said, when Jesus said, who am I? And Peter said, you're the son of God. He said, Peter, you didn't figure this out. My Father revealed it to you. Right? Paul says later on, he says, when it was God's pleasure, Father's pleasure to reveal Christ in me. Father revealed his son. And Jesus reveals the Father to whom I reveal him. I choose to. Revelation's an act of God. Isn't that a mysterious thing? It's almost like you've got to take your hands off of it. It's not about doing the right thing, earning it. It's about, does he love me? Can I trust that he's going to reveal himself to me? If I can't make it happen, whoa, you know? Like, that's a, that's a real thing. It goes down to believing and trusting in his goodness and being willing to be to the vulnerable place where he's the only answer, right? And there I was. And on that day, peace came into my being, and I became peace. I wasn't trying to slow my thoughts or reason with my mind. Peace entered me and I was at rest. I did actually hear James teach this teaching one. <laughs> I read it maybe in his book. And he taught from Matthew 8, 23 and 27, you know, the storm book. And he said, this quote, it's a great quote. James said, you will never overcome a storm you cannot sleep through. You will never overcome a storm you cannot sleep through. And I was like, yeah! <laughs> Which reminded me of 1 John 2.27. I love this. He says, the anointing you received from him abides in you. 
revelation, right? And you had no need that anyone should teach you. He taught me, right? Paul says that too. He says, nobody taught me. Jesus taught me. I love that. I got this. This is mine. It wasn't because someone else had it. You know, like that A school I went to, I'm like, I came out of there believing that Jesus called his dad Abba, that he saw him, felt him, revealed him, experienced him, loving him all the time. But it, I knew it was true, but it hadn't been my truth yet. That was the journey. That was the journey about letting him love me, giving him permission to love all of me. These were no longer just words or shoulds. I'd experienced this peace in my storm. The Prince of Peace became my reality. Most of us try to fix our internal issues by trying to address external problems. Right? It's hot outside. Isn't it hot? It's hot in Texas. So we should open all the houses that are air-conditioned to cool it down. Right? Is that going to work? You're not going to solve the hop by opening all the, putting all the air conditioning out there. <laughs> Overcoming the world is not the same as fixing it. Right? We think if we can fix it, we get, if this changes, then I can be at peace. Right? If I, whatever, whatever the goal is. If this seasons passes, we say seasons, but it's all now to God. You don't have to think about seasons anymore. We, we use that as an excuse to hope that something's different tomorrow than today. And maybe if I don't deal with today or I do something, I'll make tomorrow different than today. Fixing it is not overcoming it. No matter what the storms are raging on the outside, you can be at peace. You can have a deep, settled peace within you. When we're hit with unmet expectations or disappointments, there's a deep peace in the mystery, a peace in the questions. Feeling your feels, feeling your feelings. Jesus felt his feelings and yours. I mean, I, he has taught me this, brought me back to the cross so many times in my life. I spend a lot of time at the cross because I recognize on that day, he felt the feelings. No matter what I have, yesterday, come to the cross. You felt this. You know what I'm feeling. I give it to you only through the cross. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Only way to get to the Father is through this. So I stand there and go, you felt this, and you took it with you to the grave, and you rose again. It's not mine anymore. Like sometimes I want to get to the cross and throw it and run. <laughs> right? Or you go to the cross and go, no, I don't know. How. I've been carrying this so long. It's almost my identity. Yeah. I don't know how to give it to you. Can you take it? <laughs> You know, got to give it to me, Leslie. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's dying. It's a dying to a part of me. It's a false part, but it's mine. So to give it to you means it's going to die. So I don't pick it up again. So I can't say, well, maybe I've got to stand there. Look at his eyes looking at me, hearing him say, I know what you're feeling. When I said the words, Father, why have you abandoned me? I was feeling your feelings. He knew he wasn't abandoned. My father will never leave me. But he knew what we were feeling, carrying all our sin. Father, forgive them. 
They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. The world is aching. You can feel it as a church, as the bride. That should be our heart. Forgive them. They don't know who they are. They don't know who you are. They're being lied to. Their eyes of their heart are shut. Their eyes of their intellect are open and weighing and measuring. They can't see you. Forgive them. Encounter them. Jesus walked out his life in a human frame. It takes childlike faith and humility to run towards the Father in the midst of the storm. Right? When these little kids fall down and get hurt, they run. Someone has to tell them, knock it off. Someone has to say, big boys don't cry. Right? Someone tells us that. It's our nature to run, to get help, to cry in the night. Right? To know someone's coming to get us. We, we, that's our nature until someone tells us that we shouldn't. Or they don't have it to give. And then the enemy comes in. This is kind of what I talked about the other day. And picks up the lie that you're too much. Or you're not enough. Or sometimes you're too much and not enough at the same exact time. <laughs> we believe it. So we hide. Right? Then shame comes in. And we hide. Or we put up a fig leaf. Right? It's just there. It's right there. I want to talk about comfort for a little bit. 10, 23. I want to give you a break, but I'm going to step into comfort. Because comfort's what we're, are, we're aching for. That connection, that love of Father brings us comfort. The definition for comfort. I wrote it down. Got to find it. To bring relief from pain. To bring relief from pain, distress, or affliction. To satisfy. To strengthen within. Comfort actually brings courage. To provide a sense of well-being. Comfort. Another word, quiet enjoyment. You know, I will quiet you with my love. I will sing over you. When we are emotionally empty, we need comfort. When we are in shock, we need comfort. When we feel alone, abandoned, in pain, sick, wounded, broken, bereaved, rejected, we need to experience comfort that surpasses and goes beyond the pain or wound we have experienced. It's got to go deeper. It's like a, every trauma, how big or small, has to be met with a greater level of comfort. Otherwise, we're left in pain and left in discomfort. So it's like a container. If you take all the trauma and fill it with comforting love, if you leave the trauma in at the bottom and the, the comfort you put on top of it, this starts to leak out, right? You start to, like, I'm just, it's pushing it down. I'm not going to feel it all the way. I'm just going to say, love me here. Just fix this here. But then all of a sudden we find ourselves short-tempered or we look in the mirror with judgment or we're mad at ourselves or you're like, oh, I must, there's trauma still there. There's trauma. There's a hurt. There's a wound. And, you know, like I said yesterday, some of those wounds are from our childhood and we just got bigger. You know, how many scars on your body did you have 
Like, do you remember the story? I mean, I remember when I stabbed the umbrella in my leg, right? It's still there. The little mite, I grew up, but the wound's still there. That's the same thing in our hearts. We just, we say this phrase in Father Heart, you know, you just kept eating your cereal and got bigger, but you're still little. There's parts of your heart that get stunted, and they stay there. And sometimes you can tell that they're there because we start acting childish, you know, we say be childlike. We're saying in hope and faith, not childish, throw big boy tantrums. Right? And we do do that. Like, well, I'm so mature and I'm so wise and I have it all together. And then you push something and all of a sudden I'm like, ah! Or going for, I got to get rid of this. So I go false comforts that I've used in the past. Whatever that is. And you're like, ah. Oh. And then I, now... I can say, oh, I just need more comfort here. There's a place in my little girl heart that has been traumatized, and I just need to run to the Father. There's the childlike faith. Because we have not had that safe place growing up to feel our feels, sometimes we try not to be needy. We're grown-ups now. We're grown-ups. We have responsibilities. We've been left feeling uncomforted. It's a quote by a woman. Um, her name is Sarah Blondin. It's a book called Heart-Minded. She says, we can't think our way back to our hearts. We can't think our way back to our hearts. We have to feel our way there. Feeling is a vulnerable thing. I mean, we were with these babies. If they're unhappy or they're sad, it is clear. They are not hiding it. Augustine, he says, the tears streamed down and I let them flow as freely as they would, making them a pillow for my heart. On them I rested. What faith it is to let yourself feel, to cry. What worship it is. Grief is a form of validation. It says the wound mattered. It mattered. You mattered. I matter. This is not the way life is supposed to be. I believe there are unwept tears down in here. The tears of a little girl or a little boy who lost and is frightened. The tears of a teenager who has been rejected with no place to turn. The tears of an adult whose life has been hard and lonely and nothing close to the dream once dropped in secret. Father's inviting us to let our tears come. He's asking you, will you feel? Will you feel your feelings with him? Will you let me come for you? Will you let me comfort you? I remember one time when I was going through some healing with him, he's like, will you let me, will you feel me feeling you? Like you think about it, when you have empathy for someone and they're in pain, you start to weep and feel. Father does that. He feels, he wants you to feel him feeling you. He's about relationship. He wants closeness. That independent, grow up thing, individualistic thing is not the kingdom of heaven. It's not. Hear his ache. In Ecclesiastes 4.1, he says, Again I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed. 
and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. Psalm 119.76, he says, Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me. God's love never fails to comfort. Isaiah 41, Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Let's look at David. David, a warrior, king, dancer, poet. David understood the comfort of God. He experienced the comfort of God. When he was a young shepherd boy looking after the sheep on his own, he was very much left alone. Even in Psalm 23, he says that, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David was rejected by his own father, his mother, his brothers and sisters, right? When Samuel came, he said, bring all your boys. Brought them all, but not David, right? And he says in Psalm 27, 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. I want to read another Psalm. Psalm 131, <clears throat> this is David, and, and it's titled, Simple Trust in the Lord. He says, and this is David as king, king of a nation. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters. All the responsibility of a nation. Nor with things too profound for me. He said, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now we think of weaned, at least I was raised thinking weaned means when a child no longer is ha drinks with a cup. No, so no, not nursing, no bottle, they're weaned. But this doesn't mean that. This doesn't mean that. This weaned means satiated, satisfied. Another word would be milk drunk. Have you ever seen a milk drunk baby? Right? They lay there in the mother's arms, grandpa's arms, grandma's arms, no matter, and they're like, oh. Their eyes aren't quite closed. They're just, they're not really there. There's dripping down milk. Their arms, their legs. Milk drunk, satiated, full, comfort, weaned at his mother's breast. That's what David was saying. This is how I rule Israel. I crawl up into my father's lap, to my mother's lap, and I allow him to fill me up, to be my comfort, fill me with his love, with his nurture, Till I'm like this. When you're like that, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you take, put him, you can put anything with them, right? I think, Papa, I'm not coming to you with my stress till I'm milk drunk. <laughs> then we'll talk about it. And you know what? My prayer life has been come. I get in there. I'm going to get to the place where this love is just, and you can feel it. People think it's glory, weighty. I'm like, yeah. I mean, when I do mother welcome with you guys, by the time I'm done, I am so drunk. It's like coming through me to you guys, and I'm like, yeah, this is good stuff. 
I am not drunk as you suppose. But then when I get to that point, you're like, what bothered me? What was I anxious about? What, what, what was, like it goes away. Because all of a sudden you're like, oh, he knows me. He's got me. He knows where my story is. I don't even, that's what prayer looks like. That's my intercession before the Lord. I get good and milk drunk. And what, I, what he loves, I love. What he feels, I feel. And he's already feeling it. Oh, it's not like, I'm going to God. <laughs> he's already here. The disciples of Jesus, right? Jesus was comforting them. They experienced Jesus comforting them as he was heading to the cross and returning to his father. He let, left the boys a promise. Remember in John 14, 16, he said, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. And some translations say comforter. That he may be with you forever. Remember this point, Jesus was comforting them from the external. He was saying, this is good, but better's coming better that Jesus died. You, don't, you want me to go because then the comforter is going to become your eternal reality. You will go to the Father. He will meet your needs within you. He was saying, I am an intermediary comforter. I'm revealing to you what the Father is like through my life, but he himself is going to come and comfort you directly. He, you are going to become home. Look at Paul. Paul. It says after he was converted in Galatians, he spent three years in the desert. Three years. What do you think happened in that desert three years? I'll tell you one thing. Religious zealots have never been comforted. He was willing to die for his, kill for his God. Uncomforted. What do you think happened to him, his childhood? He got to that place where he thought it was high honor in serving God to murder on his behalf. What happened to him? What did Papa do? He needed to get unraveled. He went to the desert, spent three years there. He was a man's man. He was a fighter, survivor, overcomer, whipped. Five times with 39 lashes. That's that Jewish lashing. It has an end. Can't do 40. 39. He was shipwrecked for one and a half days. Swam in the open sea with winds and waves. They tried to stone him. They used rocks. Right? Half Leonard talked about stoning. One time they stoned him so well they thought he was literally dead. He was put in prison, bitten by snakes. Finally cut in half by a sword. What was Paul's secret? What does he say in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4? He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that, when, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have received that we have been comforted by god we again it, you can't skip you love is other centered and it gives itself away but it doesn't skip you 
with the comfort you receive. God, Paul, Paul calls God the God of all comfort because he experienced him comforting him. I think about Paul when he says he worships when he was in chains or in the stocks. You know, that feel like, worship, worship. I'm going to worship myself into comfort, right? Have you ever done that? I mean, I love worship. I'm a worshiper. I love put. I mean, I don't sing very well. No one would give me a mic. Or <laughs> but in the privacy of my own upside-down tree, small group, I love worshiping. But I used to try to worship myself into a new emotional state. But what I realized, what I've learned, what I, I believe Paul did when he was in a stock, that's a painful thing to be in. And his, they were doing it to him, the ones he loved, right? He was in pain. I think he said, Papa, Abba, Papi, this hurts. They're rejecting me, the ones you sent me to. It hurts, this physically hurts. And I think Father came and comforted him. And the response to comfort was worship. He didn't worship himself into comfort. See the difference? It's a tiny bit of difference. And when you're loved, when you know it, you can't help it but worship. Right? That song I sing all the time, I am your beloved. You bought me with your blood. And on your hand is written out my name. I am your beloved, one the Father loves. Your mercy has defeated all my shame. But some of those, that song comes out of spending sometimes hours in a corner in tears saying, it hurts. I miss my baby. Or I'm afraid to speak and mess this all up. Don't make me go. I get to say it. I get to feel it. And he meets me. And I remember. He awakens and reminds me. I'm his beloved. The one, the other part of that song, he says, the one who knows me best loves me most. The one who knows me best loves me most. And he knows all of me. I will keep nothing hidden. Because every need I have is fulfilled in one source. And he's already in me. I want to take a break. It's 1040. So if we come back like at 11, ever we can take coffee or cookies or potty. And we'll come back. Deal. <laughs>